Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, good morning again. Yeah, I'm going to go back and sit down because that hurt my feelings. Um, you know, sometimes I tell my kids, like, it is customary when somebody says good morning to you. Good morning. Oh, that's so much better. So much better. Hey. Hey, do we have any uh, guests here at Gospel Hope? Is this your first time joining with us? Amen. Hey, all right. Man, thanks so much for being here. Hey, if you haven't, please stop by the Connect table in the back. We have a gift for you, and we would like to know you just a little bit better to see how we can serve you and help you take your next spiritual step. Well, I'm excited this morning to continue to open God's Word. As I said, we are in this series called Ecclesiology about the doctrine of the church. Let me... Uh, let me cue you in on a little bit of the, uh, one of the tricks of the trade. You know that preaching is not always easy. Sometimes messages are hard to preach because they are very challenging or confrontational, right? And unless you're a jerk, you don't like to preach those, all right? If you like, like to confront people, there's something wrong with you, y'all. I want to talk to you about that. Sometimes uh, messages are challenging because they hit a little close to home. You know, like you're getting up here preaching and it's just very personally convicting. Um, this message is challenging today, not for either of those reasons, actually. But this is a hard one. And here's the reason why. Because there is just a truckload of stuff in this passage. So I'm going to do my best to work through Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. But I want to encourage you to put your theological thinking caps on here. Because there is just going to be concept after concept after concept that we are going through. I, I, I need you to kind of aim your brain in the next few minutes and really try to track with me. There's just a ton of material. I'm going to do my best to service you this, this morning and get you out before like 2.30 or anything. So uh, if you want to eat lunch, do your best to pay attention. Uh, humor me for a little bit. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for help. The title of the message is the inclusive, exclusive church. You see why this might be a little bit challenging, right? Right out of the gates. All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you and we confess our need for you. But would you draw near to your people by your spirit for your glory? We are needy. Please press upon our hearts these precious, precious truths given to us in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. amen. An oxymoron is defined as a figure of speech which apparently contradictory terms appear in conjunction. For instance, I think that piece of fabric was pretty ugly, right? It's an oxymoron. My dad used to love that particular one. You look pretty, pretty ugly. He thought it was like the most hysterical thing in the world. My dad had dad jokes level 10,000, right? I'd really like to hear your unbiased opinion, right? It's an oxymoron. They are asking us to submit, this one's very funny to me, an original copy. What? I thought that dress looked awfully pretty, or maybe one more. I felt like that was my only choice. 
Sometimes seemingly, apparently contradictory ideas are put in conjunction in order to show how in some way they, they're both true at the same time. This morning's message title is certainly an oxymoron. The inclusive, exclusive church. How can the work of Jesus be both inclusive on the one hand and exclusive on the other hand. Paul explores exactly that idea in this passage. But here's the thing. It's not simply Paul's idea. It's actually the testimony of the entire scripture, including Jesus himself. For instance, did not Jesus say in John chapter 14, verse number six, very famously, I am the way, the truth, and the life no man comes to the Father except through me. Does that sound exclusive? Does that sound exclusive? Yes, it does. John, hey, I told you you have to think with me. So like, you don't participate. This is going to be a bad Sunday, okay? So John 8, verse 24. Therefore, I told you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, the Christ, you will die in your sins. Does that seem exclusive? Yes. However, Jesus also said these things. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Or John 6, 40. Everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Does that seem inclusive to you? Yes. Here's the reality. The consistent teaching of Jesus and Paul and the entire scripture can be summarized in this way. There is only one way to God open to all who believe. There is only one way, it's exclusive, open to all who believe. It's inclusive. And we need to really wrap our minds around this if we're going to understand the nature of the church. The church then is people who are beneficiaries of the exclusive, only Christ, inclusive, all who trust work of Jesus. That's what the church is, is the people who have benefited from the only way to salvation, which is through Jesus for all who believe. Which leads me to my point this morning, very simply. We must remember that we are included in the church exclusively through Christ. Hear it? We are included in the church exclusively or only through Christ. Now, I inserted a word there. Did you notice I inserted the word remember? Why do we got to remember? Well, that's because that's what the passage tells us to do. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 11 in the text. It simply says this. So then, what's it say, church? Remember, it seems like Paul knew that we were prone to forget these realities, that we are only part of the church because of the work of Jesus, and that's open to all who trust. Seems like we, if I could say it very plainly, we drift towards forgetfulness. Can you feel that? Do you drift towards forgetfulness? We're a little bit like with a car with a, that's slightly out of alignment. We drift. We drift away from faith in the bedrock realities of Jesus and often forget things that are critically important. We have a tendency to forget that we belong to the church only by the grace of God. 
especially if you've been around the church block for a while. We start to think somehow, some way that we earned our seat in the church. We seem to believe that we belong here because of something in us rather than something wholly outside of us. We tend to forget that we are what we are by the grace of God. We tend to forget that the church's unity is based on the work of Jesus and not on our preferences. We tend to forget that the church is not intended to look like just a version of our own personal desires and wants, and it's shaped by the diverse body that Christ has brought together. And so we get bent out of shape when things don't get, go our way because we tend to forget. We tend to forget that the church is for all kinds of people, not our kind of people. And so the church is not Republican or Democrat or black or white or young or seasoned, millennial or boomer. The church is made up of anyone and everyone who would dare trust in that beautiful message we call the gospel. We tend to drift towards forgetfulness and therefore Paul says, remember, remember that you are included in the church exclusively because of the work of Christ. So I wanna hone in on those two big ideas here this morning as we remember the inclusive, exclusive work of Jesus. Here's the first one, Christ can save alone. So first idea I want us to remember, Christ can save alone. Paul begins this passage with a rather brutal description of humanity. It's not pretty. Look at what it says, Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 11. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, look at this, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, a foreigner to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. That is not very rosy at all. And for Paul, this was not theory, this was history. He doesn't say, remember what you could have been or remember what might have happened. He says, remember, this is what you were. At one time, all of you were in this particular condition. This is not just some sort of ivory tower speculation by the apostle Paul. He's saying, this is your story. This is my story. Let me unpack it a little bit phrase by phrase. He first says, remember that at one time you Gentiles. Now, what's the term Gentile mean? It's very simply in the Bible, Gentile refers to those that are of non-Jewish descent. Okay, so if you're not Israelite, you are a Gentile. So guess what? Okay, I just want to inform you of this. That's probably everybody in the room this morning. We're Gentiles, okay? If you do not have Jewish lineage, then you are a Gentile according to what the Bible says here. That's who it's referring to. And then it says, and you are called the uncircumcision by the circumcision. What's going on there? Well, back in the time of Abraham, God gave the Jewish nation this right of circumcision. And it was kind of to mark them off as God's covenant people. Well, here's what they did, as many people tend to do when you get some sort of special privileges. They took it and began to look down on others that didn't have it. 
So Paul says, hey, you Gentiles who are called the uncircumcision. In other words, the Jewish people began to look on the outsiders, the Gentiles, and say, uncircumcision. It was a term of derision. It was, it was kind of like we would use the word pagan or infidel today. It has negative connotations. So here's what Paul is emphasizing. You were outside of God's covenant community, and they didn't want you in. That's who you were. That's where he starts. Hey, Gentiles, you non-Jewish people, you were not only born outside of the nation of Israel, God's covenant people, but also the people in there, they didn't want you to come in. They weren't like, hey, pull up the seat of the table. They were like, y'all stay over there, you infidel, you pagan. And then it gets a little bit worse. Look at the following verse there in verse number 12. At that time, you were without Christ. Let me pause right there. That term Christ is not like Jesus' last name. Okay? It's not like when Jesus signed checks, he put Jesus Christ. Christ is actually a title, and it means king or Messiah. So that's who it's referred to. You were without a king. You were without God's king. Notice you were without, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants and promises. Whew, okay, I told you there's a lot here. So in the Old Testament period, God's work was primarily restricted to a little track of land along the Mediterranean Sea called Israel. That's where God was doing the vast majority of his work. The Bible was there. The prophets were there. That's where Jesus was born and raised and died. He did all of this stuff in this little track of land called Israel. And if you were born outside of that, in one sense, you didn't have access to any of that good stuff. You didn't have the Bible. No prominence, no covenants. God's people were not there. God's king, he wasn't there. You were literally an outsider. Maybe you might have heard of Jesus, but he wasn't your hero. He wasn't your king. He was a foreign king, a foreign leader, a foreign savior in one sense. You were outside of all that if you were born a Gentile. Let me give you an illustration. How many of you remember maybe in history class, college or high school or maybe middle school, I don't know, learning about this guy named Simon Bolivar. Anyone? Okay, Andrew, of course, Andrew, the history teacher, yes. But it, yeah, we got like two or three others. You know, Simon Bolivar was called the liberator, El Libertador in Latin America and South America. Why? Because he was kind of responsible for leading many of these countries in revolutions to free them from uh, oppression. I mean, he's kind of a hero down there among many South American countries. I, I want you to think about this for a minute, but he's their hero. You're not South American. He is a South American hero. And some of you, you uneducated folks, you haven't even heard of him. He's not your hero. He's not your deliverer. He's not your liberator. You never heard of him or he's some foreign liberator. That's our state, all of us, with Jesus. You know, that's what Paul is emphasizing here. You were outsiders. You were cut off. You couldn't get there. You are all alone and alienated from all the wonderful grace and mercy and covenants and promises and king. You didn't have access to that because you were born in the wrong zip code in one sense. You're Gentiles. You're outsiders. 
So what is the result of that alienation? It's the worst thing of all. Look at verse number 12 again. Having no hope and without God in the world. Yikes. So you're cut off and the result of all that being cut off and alienated is you have hopelessness as your inheritance. Godlessness as your inheritance. When I was in Uganda in the process of adopting our son, Peyton, um, we had a guide that was there that was super helpful to, to me as I was spending time there. And one day he said to me, Ryan, do you want to go to this kind of famous market? And I'm like, oh man, that'd be awesome. I'd love to go. So he's like, all right. So we trundled ourselves onto a taxi. I strapped Peyton to my back, who was just a little baby at that point. And we go into this market. It's just huge. It's just this ginormous thing. It's covered on the top to keep the sun out. And then through the whole thing, it's kind of like a labyrinth. I mean, they have like tarps and rugs and everything to separate the stalls. And it's like, it's just this maze. And if you haven't been before, before it, it, was, it was very possible to get lost in there. So we're going in. I'm like, this is awesome. We're bartering and buying stuff. And he's saying, hey, you got to come check this out. And duh, 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 duh. We're going through that. And I've got this little baby here and I'm in this foreign country by myself with this baby on my back and following my guide. And then in one moment, something happened, a moment of terror. I lost sight of my guide. And I'm in the middle of this market. I don't even know if I can find my way out of. And if I find my way out of it, I don't even know where I'm going to get back home. And I'm like, hopelessness began to rise. Some of you that uh, maybe struggle with some anxiety, you're feeling it right now. And can you like, you're like, Ryan, can you resolve this story? Because I don't feel comfortable right now. And I'm sitting there on my back and I'm looking around and I'm like, man, I got to take care of this baby. I got to get myself out of here. I don't have a phone that works. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I am alienated. I am alone. I am hopeless and without a deliverer in the sense. I think that's the type of picture that Paul is painting for all of us. That was our state apart from the grace of God. Separated, alienated, cut off. Now, for those of you struggling with worry right now, I did find my guide. We found him. I mean, it was amazing. He got me out of there. I'm still alive today. Peyton's alive. We're good. All right, don't worry about it. We're not still strandling, stranded in a marketplace somewhere. The idea that Paul is trying to communicate it is part from divine intervention, we would all be lost. So that's the bad news. Fortunately, though, that's not the end of the story. Look at verse number 13. But now, this is what you were. Remember, 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 this is what you were. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. So although you were far off, you Gentile, cut off from the promises, cut off from God's king, a stranger to the inheritance. What happens through Jesus? You, no matter how far you were, God came and got you and brought you near. Here's the good news. No distance is too great for God's grace. Let me try that on for size again. No distance is too great for God's grace. Do you believe that? 
No distance is too great for God's grace. You cannot outrun the grace of God. Over here, thousands of miles from Israel, from Jerusalem, from Nazareth, from Bethlehem, whatever biblical place you want. We are thousands of miles and thousands of years removed and Christ came and got us. How did he do that? I love the picture in the book of Hebrews. You know, in the Old Testament, particularly when the people were camped, God delivered them from slavery. He put them around him in this camp. And at the center was the tabernacle. And here's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 3, that Jesus, the ultimate insider, right? He's God's king. He's God's son. And the Bible says that Jesus, the son of God, went outside of the camp. Why did the insider go outside? Outside of the camp, there is only one reason to bring outsiders in. Jesus leveraged all that he was, all that he could do, all his power, all his character, all his blood to walk outside of the camp to himself, become an outsider so that he could bring outsiders, strangers and aliens and foreigners into the camp and make them part of the family. Here's the result, Galatians chapter three, it says this, oh, this is amazing. And if you belong to Christ because of what he's done, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Okay, you got to get this. You got to get this right now. If you have trusted in the work of Christ, the Jewish Messiah, you are more Jewish than Rabbi Ben Huda. It's the most Jewish name I can think of. Because you have trusted in Jesus and are in-lawed into the family. And now, according to the scripture, you are Abraham's seed. There's a bunch of Israelites in here. Even though you were a foreigner, even though you were a stranger, even though you were cut off from the promises and the king, now you belong. Because he went outside the camp. Look. Look, Jesus did what Jesus alone could do. Ain't nobody else able to go outside the camp and get foreigners and outsiders. Except for the king. Except for the son. So Jesus laid down his life to make outsiders insiders. That's the exclusivity of Jesus. Yes, it's only through him, but praise God, it's through someone Nobody else can save. You know why there is only one way to salvation? Because ain't nobody else powerful enough to make that way. We don't need multiple ways to God because we got the best one. He went outside the camp to rescue those who couldn't find their way back on their own. Jesus alone can save.
Here's what this means. My fellow Gentiles, you are not separated from Christ. He's not their king, he's your king. You are not alienated from God's people. You are, according to the scripture, the Israel of God. You are not cut off from the promises. No, the Old Testament is not Israel's history, ethnic Israel's history. It is our history. It is the history, the redemptive work of the people of God. And those stories are precious to all of us. Not because they're about a different time and place, but those are our people because we worship the same King and God. And you, best news of all, are not without hope and without God in the world. You have a God and his name is Jesus. And he's the one and only one who could save. Yes, maybe it's hard to swallow the exclusivity of Christ at times. But when you really plumb the depths of it, you realize that there's not multiple ways to God because there's only one who could make a way. And he was willing to do so. So let us trust that Jesus can save alone, too. Jesus can save all. <laughs> Paul does not only highlight that Christ is the only way to God, but he also highlights the fact that he can reconcile or save everyone. Anyone and everyone that would ever put their hope in Jesus can be saved. At Gospel Hope, we talk about this idea all the time that reconciliation is vertical. When you trust in the gospel, you are reconciled to God vertically. Your relationship with God is made right. But it's also horizontal. You are not only made right with God, but you are invited into the church. You become part of the people. You not only, if we say it like this, you not only gain a father, but you gain a family. Through the work of Jesus, you are reconciled vertically and horizontally. He reconciles all things to himself, the book of Colossians says, and that work is still ongoing. Paul highlights here that no matter how far the disparity between different people, they can trust in Jesus and be made right with him and right with one another. This would have been mind-boggling to first century Jews and Gentiles. Here's why. Because there was no love lost between these two groups. There was some deep cultural, racial, ethnic, national divides between Jews and non-Jews. They did not love one another or feel warm and fuzzy towards each other. You know, remember in cases in the Bible, I mean, this is highlighted where where Jesus and his followers, they, his followers wanted to go around Samaria because they didn't even want to walk through the city, right? I mean, that's some deep, deep prejudice going on there. And so what does Paul say? Look at what it says, Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 14. For he, Jesus, is our peace. Well, why do you need someone to make peace? Well, the only reason for that is because there's hostility between them. You don't need peace made if there's not already antagonism between the two groups. And here's what it goes on to say. Who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. 
He made them no effect, the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulation, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. So these rifts, cultural, religious, ethnic, geographic rifts that divided Gentiles from Jews, the Bible tells us that Jesus, in one fell swoop, tore down the wall of hostility. How many of you remember this photo from 1989? Let's ask this question. How many of you were alive in 1989? Okay. All right, very good. How many of you remember this photo? All right, a few of you. This is the tearing down of what? Berlin Wall. Now, I was a kid in the 80s. And so I remember like when this event happened. And for me, I was like, this was almost unthinkable. Like when you thought about Berlin and the wall, East Germany and West Germany, you thought about these deep political, ideological tensions that seemed absolutely unreconcilable. And then, wonder of wonders, miracles of miracles, somehow, in some way, through some coalitions and stuff, this wall that separated east from west, and it wasn't primarily a geographic divide, it was much deeper than that. It was political and ideological. This wall gets torn down. And all of a sudden in the Olympics, it's not East Germany and West Germany. It's just Germany. Like that is amazing. How did that happen? That must have been just an incredible act of power. Let me tell you something. When Jesus tore down the wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, he didn't tear down a wall that existed for a few decades. And he didn't use a sledgehammer. He tore down a wall that existed for millennia. A wall of sin and death and ethnocentrism and hatred. And he tore it down with the wrecking ball of his death. And if God can do that, he can certainly make us one in the church, can he not? Hey, y'all, when we act like East and West Berlin in the church, it is offensive to the death of Christ. When we insist on our preferences and our priorities over the work of Jesus and his mission in the world, then we have got our lives upside down and we are behaving like we are in the Cold War. God, give us grace that we would make the church about what really matters, namely the work of Jesus and his mission in the world. And what was the result of Jesus tearing down this wall of hostility? Look at what it says. So that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. No longer in the church are we primarily Jews and Gentiles, but we are now sons and daughters. 
He came and preached the good news of peace to those who were far off. You're a Gentile, he came and got you. And to those who are near, oh, you Jewish people, don't think you didn't need the message of peace either. Jesus came and got you as well. Why? For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens and members of God's household. Y'all are family now. Pull up a chair to the table. You belong because of the work of Christ and anyone and everyone, and I mean anyone and every man, no matter what their background, no matter what their story, if they trust in the finished work of Christ, Jesus can save them and they belong to him and they belong to us. Listen, your past, your past has nothing to do with your position. Can I say that again? Your past has nothing to do with your position in Christ. You know, I told you a few minutes ago the story of kind of adopting Peyton. When we adopted Peyton, is his story different than my other children? Yes. Is his past different than my other children? Absolutely. And yet, he is no less son than my other sons. Why? Because your past is irrelevant in your position in Christ. Listen, I don't care if you run from the Lord for 35 years and then you trusted in him on your deathbed. You belong. I don't care if you grew up in church and trusted Jesus when you were still in the nursery. You belong. I don't care if you're black or white or brown or anything between. You belong. If you're rich or poor, if you're young or seasoned, if you're Republican or Democrat or not identify with either, if you trust in the work of Jesus, you belong. Your past has absolutely nothing to do with your position. Christ died to make that a reality. And look, folks, if we have Jesus in common, that's more than anything else. If we have Jesus in common with one another, all these other things are secondary and tertiary. So let's be about the business of our king uniting around the things that really matter, around the work of Christ and his mission in the world. Does it matter where you're from? Does it matter your history? Through Jesus, you are not Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. In Christ, he is all and in all, according to Colossians. So, where does this leave us? Why would Jesus do this? Why? What's the point? Why would Jesus tear down the wall of hostility, make people one? What is his purpose? Well, look at the very last phrases in the passage. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 20 and following. It says this. built the church 
on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as his cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. Okay, track with me. So Jews and Gentiles are being fit masterfully together by Christ into this building called the church. The cornerstone is Jesus, and it is the residence of the Holy Spirit. And God is doing it. He's emphasizing here that he's doing it with all kinds of different people, Jews and Gentiles. Why? Because part of the work of the church, part of the reason why we exist is to is to show the wisdom and the power of Christ. What do I mean by that? Well, listen, part of the church's beauty is its diversity. Diversity is not the goal, okay? It's not our prime aim. We make disciples. And diversity is neither ancillary. It's not just like a side thing. It is central for our life together. Why? Because through the diversity that is in the church, God is intending that the work of Jesus is for all kinds of people. And when all kinds of people trust in that work, they are made one. Why? So that the world sees the power of the gospel. People are trying to unite people all over the place. And most of the methods that they are using are absolutely impotent. That's why our society is so divided. But the church is the exception. Why? Because we have the ultimate power source. Through the work of Jesus, we have the turbocharger of the Holy Spirit who resides in us. Part of the church's beauty is its diversity. And if you are in a diverse place like Atlanta, and your church doesn't look diverse... Maybe we're not centered on the right things. We can't control the outcomes, but we can control the message that we preach and the way that we proclaim it to say, let's unite ourselves around the things that really matter. But here, here's the other thing. The passage doesn't say he's just building a building. It says he's building a particular building. He says he's building the temple. What's going on there? In what way is the church a temple? Now we know theologically He's not talking about like a physical building. Like the church is not the temple. Like this structure is not a temple. That's not what the text says at all. But in order to understand that, we got to back up several millennia. It started after God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. And they went out and they camped. And in the middle of a camp, they had this tent that was called the tabernacle. And it was the residence of God. God came and dwelt among his people. And it was a declaration to the world, the watching world, like God is with this group of people. Then you fast forward and Solomon comes on the scene, right? And he builds this magnificent structure, the tabernacle made permanent, and that was called the? The tabernacle made permanent is called the? Temple, there we go, okay. Everybody missed that one, I'm grading on a curve, okay. And that temple was glorious and it was built and destroyed and built and destroyed and built and destroyed. But it was the representation of where God lived among his people. And if you wanted to see God back in the Old Testament area, 
you had to take a pilgrimage and go to Jerusalem because that was his residence, right? Then there's a shift that starts to happen. You get to John chapter 1 and Jesus shows up on the scene. And John describes Jesus in this way. It says, John 1, verse number 14, the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and he, what's it say? Dwelt among us. That word dwelt can actually, like literally, the word picture behind that word is pitched his tent. In other words, Jesus is now the new temple, the new tabernacle. Jesus came and made his dwelling among his people. So if you were alive during the days of Jesus and you wanted to locate God, you kind of said, there he is right there. You didn't have to go to Jerusalem anymore. Kind of God was mobile. You could find him in the person and the work of Jesus. And then we get to the New Testament, the book of 2 Corinthians. And Paul makes this kind of almost aside, but it's earth shattering. He says this, do you, speaking to the church, the people of God, do you not know that you are God's, what's it say? And God's spirit lives, what, what, what's that preposition? In, not among, in. What happened? The locus of the presence of God in the world changed. God used to dwell in this tent. He moved into a temple. Then he was located in the person and the work of his son. Then Jesus ascended into heaven, poured out his Holy Spirit and said, nope, temple's not restrained to a particular time and place anymore. It is in my people. Right now today, the temple of God is over in Africa where people are worshiping the Lord. It is down in South America where people are worshiping the Lord. It is clandestine in China where people are worshiping the Lord. You don't have to go anywhere, make a pilgrimage or a journey up a mountain to go see God. You gotta look at your brother and sister right now because that's where the temple is. We exist because God wants to make his dwelling in his people. We are the temple. And the only way this world is going to see God, friends, is through us. God doesn't say get on a boat or a plane and you got to go to Jerusalem to see me. He says, look at your neighbor who has trusted in the work of my son. There I am. Oh, the stakes are high. What is the church? The church is the manifestation of the presence of God in the world today because we are the temple and Christ died to make that a reality. It is a blood-bought gift of Jesus to have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. He's not kind of like the, the second draft pick of the Trinity. He is the way God makes himself known in the world today. So church of Jesus Christ, be the temple. Doesn't mean we need to have a fancy building. By God's grace, he's given us this wonderful one. But we need to be people who are indwelt and empower and manifesting the character and the presence of Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let people see God in you.
close with two very simple points of application this morning. Remember, we said we need to remember a couple things. We're prone to forget. I'm going to ask the prayer team to move right now. They'll be in the back. First thing is this. I want you to remember that through Christ, you can belong. Do you hear me? You can belong. I don't know what your story is. I don't know how broken your past is. I don't know what your experience of. Maybe the church has hurt you at some time. I don't know what your story is. But can I say this very honestly? You can be included through the work of Jesus. There's only one way, but it's open to all. And I don't care what your package of sins are or how hideous you think they are or how ashamed you feel. He went outside the camp to bear your shame for you. Will you run to him this morning? Remember, you belong. You belong. Through the work of Jesus, you can belong. Turn to him, trusted him, and you can be saved. Second, remember that Christ can save all. Are there some people in your life that might feel like a little beyond the reach of God's grace. Man, I've been praying for him for years. Man, I have this family member, he's walked away from the Lord. This coworker, man, I love him so much, but I don't even know how to begin a conversation. Will you remember that the grace of God can travel any distance and he can do it through you because in you is the spirit of God? Will you remember that reality that through you, God wants to make himself known to people? We begin to seek the Lord about, man, I need to remember that Christ can save all. And I got a name on my heart right now in my head. And I need to pray that God would use me to help them to come to Jesus. Here's what I want to do. Our prayer team is standing by. There's several people in the back right now. We're going to sing in just a minute. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. Then we're going to sing. And as we begin to sing, will you just move? You just move. Maybe you want some folks to pray over you. Pray for your friend that's on your heart. They would love to do that. Let's seek the Lord together. You can belong and anyone can belong. Let's begin to seek the Lord. Maybe you feel isolated. Maybe you feel alone and you need to say, Lord, just help me to believe that through the work of Jesus, I'm part. I got a family. I'm not a second-class citizen. I'm a son or daughter of God. Let's just be honest and do business with the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, Thank you, thank you, thank you for the work of Jesus. That there is one way to heaven, but it is open to anyone and everyone who would ever trust in him. I pray today we would believe that with our whole soul. There's some here that have never trusted in your son. Would they run to him right now? His arms are extended. There's some in here that feel isolated and cut off and they long to belong. Would they beg and plead with you to give them a sense of confidence that you are enough. I pray for our neighbors. Pray for the city. Lord, the only way it's going to be transformed is through the work of Jesus, not through political reform, not through protest or op-eds. Lord, these are all fine, but ultimately help us to be the presence of God that you intend us to be that we would be the people of God, indwelt and empowered by the Spirit of God, proclaiming the message of God to the lost sheep throughout the world.
Oh God, we need you. Precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand up and sing. Prayer team is standing by. You feel free to respond as you feel the Lord leading.